Welcome to The Essential Element, the Elements of Education podcast. I'm Christian Page. Uh, I'm grateful that you tuned in. Uh, you could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're choosing to be here. Uh, and let me know that you're on mission with what it is that we're trying to do. Uh, we're in the business of changing the face of education uh, and doing so right by holding relationships as the core element in between us and students, in between us and families, in between us as a unit. Right, and being able to build schools that actually reflect the communities that we want to see in the world. Uh, the first conversation that we're going to be having um, is a conversation I had with a teacher here who's been here from the beginning. Her name is Robin. Uh, she's an advocate and an individual who is focused on developing the strengths of and helping students really discover themselves. Uh, in my conversation with Robin, uh, we had a bit of a vulnerable conversation of understanding that our time spent with students exists even outside the context of the classroom. There's no finite idea on discovering yourself. And that if I have to uh, be in the business of helping someone else discover themselves, I should probably be in that practice as well. And so Robin uh, talks about her vulnerable experience, about improving as a leader, improving as an educator and a teacher, about teaching through the pandemic, and about being able to be a mentor for folks even after they've graduated from high school. We know this is a short four-year span, but people's lives don't begin and end at the start of their ninth grade year and at the end of their senior year. Uh, and Robin talks about what does it look like, human to human, uh, mentor to mentee, to continue to be an advocate, to lean in, to help folks, and help them ultimately discover themselves, uh, not as a finite process, right, but realizing that mentorship is something that's infinite and something that we should lean into if we really want to change the face of public education. So thank you for tuning in. This is the interview and the conversation with Robin. Clouds, but I'm stuck on the ground. My heart is in an ocean that'll never be sound of screen. Words in my mind that will never hit my mouth. So I'm going away somewhere not to stay. Wondering. Great, great. So, um, Robin, thank you for being willing to have the conversation with us today. For sure. Uh, I'm excited. I am uh, excited to deepen our relationship to learn more about you, uh, but also for us to talk about what a lot of our work looks like in practice. Mm -hmm. Right. I think we can uh, throw out rubrics to some extent. Um, I think research is still important, but like you know, policy is not practice. Right. Research is not practice. Right? Like all of these things are good in theory, right? But to be able to nail down, like, what does this look like when we actually do the work together? Yeah. So, um, where, where I'd like to start really is just understanding you. Um, I think we can only teach who we are, right? We're humans before we're educators. And so I'd like to know, right, about, about Robin. Sure. So I would have to say that I'm, I was for a long time a dancer first and teacher came second. And yet, I've always taught my whole life. So um, even when I was a student at a local studio in my hometown, I was the resident teacher my junior and senior year, right? All through college, I taught at the YMCA. Like, so teaching has always been a part of what I've done. But I didn't go to college to be a dancer or to be a teacher. Um, my dance instructor at the time, when I was in high school and getting ready to go off to college, basically told me I would never make it as a dancer. So I was going to be an accountant. And um, college quickly changed that. I ended up back in dance because it's a passion and a love. And then I um, moved out here to Washington to dance professionally. I've done a lot of touring around the United States and abroad. I did that for about eight years. And then I heard of this school being built down here in Tacoma called Grant Center for the Expressive Arts. Mm. 
And so I got involved with, with planning that and then eventually ended up working there. And then um, started hearing these uh, through the grapevine via John Kettler uh, about this new school, Tacoma School of the Arts opening. And kind of just joined the committee to say, what does it need? What, you know, both concrete things like a dance floor and scholastically what are students going to do um, in terms of dance curriculum. Um, and then I applied for that job. And so teaching, I don't know, I've always been teaching, but really the, it came out of my passion for dance. It's the dance I love that I want to share with students. So. Uh, awesome, okay. okay. <laughs> right, so glad we got you as a gym in Tacoma. Uh -huh. Right, glad that you've uh, landed here. And I'm really interested, I think, in a couple of things, right? Mm -hmm. But first, right, like, uh, education has been hard recently, mm -hmm. right? And I'm laughing at something that's not funny at all, right? Yeah. Like, we've gone through the pandemic. Um, we've gone through blank screens and just last names. We've gone through uh, difficulty in access to education. Uh, and I think that this is a time period where a lot of people have wrestled with the idea, like, is this still for me? Mm -hmm. um, and you're still here. Right, so I'm curious is like what what keeps bringing you back on Monday, soda or otherwise? What keeps yeah. bringing you back to, to education? Oh, it's for sure the students. Um, I think the students are who got me through COVID and who I want to be there for every single day. And I think that although I wasn't able to reach every student, I feel really grateful for the students I was able to reach during online learning. Um, who needed to connect to people, needed to have relationships and maintain those relationships or build new relationships and needed passion. And especially passion for arts because of course I have a passion for art. Um, that I feel like it was hard, incredibly hard, but in some ways I wouldn't change it. COVID and teaching online gave me a whole new set of skills that now I feel like I'm a better teacher, a different mm -hmm. teacher. Um, more accessible than prior to COVID or even just prior to the last three years of even just like things that are going on in life. Like how do I assess um, why I do what I do, who has access to what I'm doing and, and why do I want them with me? And bottom line is that relationship. So whether they're in my class or in my mentor group, um, needing to connect obviously comes first, no matter what. Oh. I got a little lost in that thought, but. No, it's all good. Right? Like, and I think that this is the value of, right? Because yeah. I hear you naming, right? One, it was students who got me through the pandemic, yeah. right? And I, I think sometimes we forget, like, relationships are, are reciprocal, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this, but when I was a student, like, I would see a teacher in the aisleways of a Safeway, yeah. right? Yo, Miss Johnson, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. like, why are you here, right? Yeah. And I forget that that person has a real life. Yep. outside of and I think on the other side of that equation sometimes as educators we forget that students have real lives outside of here too yeah. um, but that idea of relationship tangles it and ties it all together yeah. and so I'm curious for you like uh, I'm hearing a priority on relationship mm -hmm. I'm hearing a priority on like self-growth like how did those things show up in practice well I guess I would say that the first thing I always think of is I have never arrived anywhere mm. Like I, there is no like, it should look like this and be this. There's definitely moving towards all encompassing and access for everyone and different possibilities. So for me, I want students to know there's no one answer and that just because one thing worked doesn't mean you can't try something new or refine it or 
alter it just because you can, because who knows what else opens up for you, right? So I guess number one, I never want to think that I have arrived at, at the final point. And the second thing is, is I freaking make mistakes every day, right? And sometimes they're big ones. Yeah. Sometimes they're little ones and nobody notices. But if I can't make mistakes and learn from them and grow from them and even share them, which is the hardest part, so that my students understand we learn the most from making mistakes or not doing our best thing or being our best selves. Um, I guess I want my dance students and my mentor students and all my students to know that like they have a long life of learning and building and changing and trying something new. And I can, I can talk to the words and I actually expect this in my classes, take risk. Mm. Take a risk and put yourself out there because you never know what's through that door or who you're going to get to know or how that leads you to something else. Um, and that you just never arrive. Arriving is not the end all. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> and I get really excited, so yeah. I'm sorry. I get really No, continue to so. be excited. Like, I yeah. think this is yeah. important for us. And I'm like, I'm, I'm drawn <laughs> into what you're, saying, is it yeah. what you're saying because I think so much of um, education is focused on arrival, yeah. right? Like, did I've met you, my thing. Yeah. Did you meet the standard? Did you get the grade? Yeah. Did you finish the standardized test? Yeah. Did you, yeah. right? And I don't think that um, there's a lot of room that gets left for this idea, I think, that you're naming around self-discovery, right? Like, there should not be a plateau. Yeah. There should not be an arrive. Yeah. And I think the moment, where like, uh, the way that I've heard it best is that the moment that we stop growing is the moment that we start dying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious for you, right? Like, how do you, one, for yourself, like battle against this idea of arrival, and two, stop your students from right, like falling into this trap of, if I meet mm -hmm. standard, if I just do, if I check box, yeah. right, that, that I'm there. Right? Yeah. Like how, do you, how do you help students with self-discovery in that way? Well, that, that's really complicated for me, honestly, you know, because one, I have a lot of different kinds of students, so you're already like, I can't put them in a box this way. Mm. So already that question is really broad for, for a student who maybe shares the same kind of passion I do for um, relationships or passions that I do for my art form, um, that's really just always offering us something else, another new experience, another have you thought about this and can you help this person over there? Who else are you gonna bring into your world? How do you make what you've done so far bigger, broader, and further out there? I have students where, um, for me, it's just about, I know you don't today walked in a student said I hate this class mm. said I love this teacher that was their next line and so how do I offer someone who's not so much a mover um, accessibility and positivity and that incremental step that says if you do this thing um, and they were doing a project today it was a creative project they were laying on the floor jumping in the air they were like I was like I can't believe you walked in my room and said this comment and by the end of the class you're a different person mm. just today in the last hour um, so I don't know. I guess I guess the answer is almost too complicated to, to say because there is no one thing. I guess what I want to know is what is a student thinking about? How are they feeling emotionally? What is shutting their door a little bit to either taking risk or building a relationship or taking something they're doing to the next level, pushing themselves, motivation maybe, and finding where's their joy? What do they care about? What um, why is it worth? Maybe trying to show them why is it worth the next step, depending on where they're starting. 
that's complicated and takes time and talking and more importantly listening mm -hmm. very much about listening uh, oh man <laughs> sorry Robin I know I just want to pull it all out. like because okay. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about where this is going right because I uh, had an experience this weekend mm -hmm. right where um, I was listening to uh, a phenomenal speaker the name is Nikita Oliver mm -hmm. and what they were sharing was this idea that um, I can only give what I have mm -hmm. I can only teach who I am right and they're they're in uh, an abolitionist right and like being able to dream up new systems for society yeah and one of the things that they were talking about was like a punitive discipline system Right, and this is roundabout. I promise we'll get to where we're going. Yeah. But we're talking about a punitive discipline system, and they said I can't find myself advocating for non-punitive discipline, for stopping youth detention, if I'm still punitive in my relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. Right, like as a human, I might have to give up my right to punish folks mm -hmm. if I want to see a system <laughs> that is more yeah. focused on restoring than it is on being punitive. And so as, as we're talking about this idea and it being complicated and right, like finding the new next step or somebody who's not interested, like getting into like what, what does this mean for us? I'm, I'm curious about like you, right? Because we get to see this version of Robin, this iteration, and I know we're not talking about perfect or plateau, right? But you're experienced in, in this world. And I'm curious of like, what were the stumbling blocks to getting there? Well, Sometimes we have concrete something that happens at the end of a journey, the end of a process, the end of a project that has to happen. And um, especially in what I do, sometimes that's group oriented, right? So I find that um, if the buy-in from the group is not equal or the same, or even just at a certain level, kids are hard to each other. Like they're, they can, they they can be the ones that are. Um, not as accepting of each other more than me the teacher has anything to do with it so one of the things i often say in my room is allow grace in the room mm. every single person deserves to be able to come into this room even if they haven't been and we should be open and welcoming and be asking questions rather than making assumptions so that's the first thing is that hard to put into practice sometimes it is especially if you have a deadline coming up and it's frustrating but we have to keep trying, and that's where you're saying we're not—we haven't always arrived. We're not always perfect, and me included, right? I'm always learning. I'm always growing, and I'm never ever perfect, mm -hmm. right? But allowing grace in the room and that acceptance into the room is kind of key, right? And it and and keep offering those access points. I guess is what I want to say. Like sometimes, like this doesn't work for a certain person, but when you can move them over to this aspect of it, it's great and it takes the pressure off of maybe something else that was going on um, but I, I do find most often that students love to be together they love to feel supported um, they love to have a place of purpose kids don't actually like to waste time they mm. want purposeful things to do that mean something um, but they they also want that welcoming atmosphere that it, they feel supported in whatever those needs might be um, and they need it from each other and they need it from their teachers both mm. I don't know if that answered the question it does okay. it does <laughs> I think I think it does and I, I think I'm also like to rephrase it a little bit right mm -hmm. is uh, at one point you were a novice teacher yeah and your practice didn't look how it looks now 
for sure. Right? So I'm curious about like, what did it look like at the beginning? And maybe what were some significant learning points that have gotten you here, right? And the yeah. reason why I ask is because like, you're helping students discover themselves. But again, like I can't give somebody something, I would be out of integrity, yeah. asking them to discover themselves yeah. and not having my own process of self-discovery. So I'm curious as, as an educator, right? What, what does that journey look like? Well, for me, and just to kind of keep it sort of mainstreamed and short, I don't call myself a teacher. Mm. That's first, I'm a facilitator. My job is to create situations of learning. Mm. That's, sometimes I think a teacher is very self-centered and especially as I've gotten older, it can't be on me. Like, I'm not dancing anymore, I've aged. My, my time of prime was a long time ago. I had a great years of prime, right? So how do I take that experience of doing and create experiences for someone else to do? So that's, yeah, it's a teacher. A good teacher does that. But I like to use the word facilitator because it allows me to go, I take the pressure off me, it's not about me. What have I set up for kids to do? And that includes setting up systems where they're learning from adjunct artists, which are really important to what I do here at SODA. I don't want to be the end-all teacher. I want them to have a rich experience by the time they leave. So adjunct artists is really important. Me being a mentor to students who aren't even in my dance class, probably top of the things I love. Like, I want the students that I have a mentor group to know that I will utterly be their advocate and there for them, a voice for them, to help them, to come to, to talk through, to support to find solutions, like, I mean, the list goes on. Um, so for me, I guess, just mainstreaming back down, leaving my teaching when I was younger, where it was, follow me, I'm gonna teach you this exercise, here's what we're working on, here's how I do it, now you do it, was how I taught. I taught the skills I knew, and there's still some of that, it's mm. not gone. But I can set up a whole lot more for students when I think about a model of facilitation than a follow me because I've learned to do this in my past and now I want you to learn to do it for your future. Mm. Their future <laughs> is not my future and it is not my past. Their future is their future. So there's my learning where I'm always going to be a learner. How do I take what I've done in my past, let go of it, knowing that their future is a different future. And that's where I'm always learning and I'm not always great, right? Like I have to keep learning and try something else, offer something new, evaluate what I've set up and go, this worked 10 years ago. It was great when we opened Soda, but we're in a new world already from 10 years ago. Yeah. So yeah. how do I let that go and what do I do new? And I, that's daily and I'm not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> No, I love that, right? Like, it, this is not my past or my future. This is their future. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, can I, can I ask you? Oh, I love this question, right? Yeah. Uh, I, you're, you're talking about moving away from a model of education where I'm the expert, follow me, do this, do that. Right. right? And I would imagine in facilitation, that's some of the things that happen is, right, like other answers from other people who can be quote unquote experts show up in the room. Absolutely. So I'm curious, what, what have students taught you most recently? Well, first of all, students are connected to the world in a way I'm not as connected from when I was younger. And that I need to hear and learn from. So sometimes in just my daily routine, I don't have the same access points. Also just like, I mean, let's just talk about technology's impact on students, phones, social media, the speed of which information and videos are given to students. We didn't have all of that when I was younger, so I work at a slower, longer pace, and not everything is visual all the time, right? So there's just 
like the world has really undergone these changes. And so students really teach me, A, the world they live in, which is different from the world I, necess I sometimes live in. Sorry, I just hit my microphone. Mm. Um, but also, they're smart, like smarter than me, more knowledgeable. And when you can allow them to show and share their knowledge and their ideas, their creativity, I think sometimes what I've found for myself as the expert, I get into patterns, breaking the patterns, um, understanding that I just created a pattern and how do I do something new. That even goes from my inflection of talking or my gestures or an assignment that I, ex an expectation. Students bring new energy, new ideas, new, I mean, new everything. I mean, I don't even know how to answer that. Like they are so smart. They open up the world of what I know experience-wise and can kind of predict based on my experiences, but they open a new vital viewpoint of what can be. I don't know. You do, you do, <laughs> that right? Broad. That was a little broad. But. No, and, and I think it's, right, like most of the things are broad, right? Yeah. And I think um, in a world where we're continuing growing, right, we have to continue to theorize, right? right? and then try it out, throw right. stuff at the wall and see what sticks. They also have different strengths. I mean, I just want to say that, like when you look at students, they're individuals in a room sometimes trying to do a collective learning. Yeah. And if you can see a student and go, you're not ever going to do this thing that I do and I've tried to teach you, so I need to really make sure that I have a something that builds your strengths, what you bring to the table. So that, that facilitator piece has to encompass the ability for students to get better and have that understanding and intellectual challenge and for me, movement challenge, but it's theirs, not mine. And yet there's certain knowledge that, you know, they want to learn from you, right? Yeah. And that, that it does need to be collected, but you have to be able to offer all of that, not just some of that. Uh, oh man, I love that, right? And I, I think I love that statement of like, helping people capitalize or build on top of their strengths um, and both of the settings that you're naming, right? Because you talked about this as, as academics, right? Like right. there's a course that you have to go through and like courses for a grade and right? Like all of these different things. And you've also mentioned this idea of like mentorship for even students who are not in your classroom, right? right? So I'm really curious about like, I, I think you're naming it here in the academic side. Mm -hmm. Like how do I capitalize on those strengths as a facilitator? Mm -hmm. When you're mentoring students or a mentor a peer group, mm -hmm. how does that show up when there's nothing necessarily like grade based that's on the table yeah every kid's got strengths period like that's all i have to say if somebody can't see it that's on them mm. so for me i think a letting every single student i have in my mentor group know that they are welcome in my room i want them in my room and i see them and i can talk to what they show me that is really awesome there's always stuff we have to work on because none of us are perfect right but in mentor group especially, like no matter how their grades have been, their relationships, their behaviors, like whatever you want to call it, um, there's always things. They have hopes, they have dreams, and they have strengths that when you can go, have you ever thought about doing this? Or have you thought about helping someone else because you're really good at this? Um, every student has that. And so, again, it takes time and conversation. and. Sometimes my whole beginning of mentor group for the whole first two months of school is listening, watching, and allowing them to get to know each other and me get to know them before I ever even try to do a something where it's like, I want you to do this now. That 
furthers our thinking and our planning for maybe your next steps, right? So that beginning part is so crucial to set up a room of welcome and acceptance and um, advocacy. I call myself an advocate for my mentees. I want them to know they can trust me and that I will always be there for them in whatever way they need. Um, but also get to know them. What do they need? I have to be able to answer that question. Yeah. And that takes a little bit of time. And so I allow that time. And sometimes it's relationship building activities that they don't want to do and then they get comfortable doing. Sometimes it's playing together. Sometimes it's working together. Um, but conversation always happens. Um, and then I can start to help them find a pathway and help them start to find relationships or strengthen something that's weakened that they need to work on a little bit. Um, I love this idea, right, of like, of taking the time to be in relationship first, right? I'm, I'm hearing community, I'm hearing empathy, and uh, I'm curious for you in practice, right, like, uh, in education, oftentimes the thing that we're most strapped for is time. Yeah. Right, and there is a level of like urgency that gets placed on us. Mm -hmm. Right, there's 55 minutes or 90 or 90 minutes in period for on a block schedule, mm -hmm. and we have to get to this part of the curriculum and finish this part by this time, and so on and so forth. Right, like I, I'm curious about like how do you fight that urge to be urgent, or balance yeah. being one of our pillars. Like how how do you fight the need to be urgent with the necessity for building relationship? Well, I'm sometimes better at it and I'm sometimes not better at it. Again, not arrived at perfect. And sometimes I will go into a mentor group and I'm like, that was, I felt rushed and I didn't do what I needed to do. I came in with all these great plans of like joy. <laughs> I like to have joy in my room, right? And, and I felt like the tasks, you know, the joy versus the tasks got me today. Um, but I think, I, I, I don't think I have an answer because I think I still fight it every day. But I definitely think that when I can prioritize what I need to get done in a certain amount of time and that that priority is always about being in our circle with our students. Mm -hmm. I never skip a circle, ever. Because it's so important that we all are seen, we are all heard, we are all connected, and the other tasks will just happen. I work through lunch a lot. I stay after school many days a week. I, I make it happen, but I do try to take it out of these moments. But. Sometimes it creeps in. Sometimes it gets us. It's hard. We have a lot to do. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> right? And really important work. Yeah. Um, can I? Can we take a pivot in the conversation sure, for a second? Sure. Right, because uh, I'm hearing a lot in our pillars. Right, thinking about um, balance and about thinking about uh, empathy. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm really interested in the other side of like thinking and community as we talk about discovering self. Yeah. And so I'm interested, right? Like. We've talked a lot about being in the classroom. We've talked a lot about being together, being in circle. Um, when your students leave that space, I think the ultimate mark of education, right, is now how those citizens now behave in the community, yeah. right? Like, what, what have you seen from your mentor group, from students who you had in the past about how the time spent has now impacted the broader world that we get to live in? Um. I think they leave Soda with some amazing skills, and I think they leave Soda unbelievably grateful that they went to Soda. Mm -hmm. Very very rarely um, have I encountered many students that didn't feel like they could think about world problems, um, that could, they could go out in their community and make a change, or support, or um, open a door for employment, whatever that might be. I feel like many, many, many of our students 
they grow up between ninth and twelfth grade, and I think most of them have felt supported. Um, I I do also want to say though it it takes a village. Like I mean, I think students need family support. They need um, teacher support, administrative support, peer support. Um, and those students who have that motivation are gonna go out and make those changes. We already see it at school. They're already at school doing the things that we're like, of course you are. You're gonna go change the world. I don't have to worry about you at all, you know? Um, and then there's other students that maybe that you haven't seen them take that risk yet. I go back to that taking that risk um, and that working with them to go open that door for that job or go open that door for further education or whatever that next step is. Um, I think a lot of teachers still connect to their students who have graduated in many ways, right? Um, yeah. that, they, that there's bonds that are built when they're here. I can't say that's for everyone, but I have, an over, I have a feeling that it's overwhelmingly, I think many students feel supported. Uh, At least I hope so. I uh, hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I would imagine that, and I, I know this for a fact, but um, their learning doesn't stop at SOTA. Right, and I think one of the marks of a great facilitator, a great educator, right, is that there are habits of learning now that you have, right? Like, uh, I've heard it described as, you know, I'm not telling you what to think, but I'm teaching you how to think. Right. And so, in this area of self-discovery, right, and, and mentorships and academics, uh, what critical questions do you want students to continue to ask themselves after they leave? Well, I want students to know their strengths. You know, we have different kinds of strengths and our strengths are different from each other. So if you're in a job where your strengths are not being utilized, you're probably not super happy, mm. right? Um, so I think if students can really go, I'm good at this and this, um, that helps them navigate a profession that will bring them joy because they can flourish where they're best, right? Um, but I also, I guess, want students to understand or know or or even just understand that it's going to change over time and to be open to it. What, are, what brings them passion and joy? Um, sometimes we have to work just to pay the bills. That's true. But yeah. um, if students can balance that in their lives with the passion and the joy and the logistics that they need for paying bills and or taking care of family or, you know, all those things that we do for our... For our um, I'm getting lost in those words, you know what I mean? Those logistical kind of things that we need to do. Mm. That finding that balance um, is really important. So I guess passion is a big thing for me, whether it comes from a job or not a job. Feeling happy and joy is important, but also building on your strengths because if you can get that job where you do that, then your job will be happy. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You do, you do, you do. <laughs> Sort of verbalize. I got uh -huh. stuck in that one. Um, I guess I want kids to know, like, it's their 14-year-old self right now that they're discovering. Yeah. But by the time they're 25, they're going to be a whole new, different self because they're going to have these experiences that if they're open to them and learning and listening to other people and have empathy for other people and, you know, do some, do some work on what they want and what they're good at, like they're gonna be a whole different self in 10 years from now. You know, like just keeping open, I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, can I phrase the they're question? they're gonna keep growing. Yeah. <laughs> can I phrase the question like this? Um, because there's an exercise that like, I did with a mentor a long time ago, mm -hmm. right? And essentially here's what he did, is that he had us uh, 
create a table with three columns. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, I want you to write down the things that you want to have. Right? Like, what are these goals? Mm -hmm. What does it look like? Mm -hmm. Right? And, you know, at the time, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm, I'm going to the NBA. Right? Like, or whatever <laughs> right. those things are. Right? right? And then what he did was he said, you know, uh, hope is not a strategy. Mm -hmm. Dreams are not a strategy. Like you said, there's sometimes actions that we have to take in order to get there. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, what are the action steps that it's going to take to get there? Yeah. Right? And we listed all of these things. That, I've got to go to practice and, da, 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 and get good mm -hmm. grades. And, right? And then at... What he did at the end of it is he said, um, I want you to think about the greatest leader that you know, mm -hmm. right? And what are the things that they believe about themselves and what are the characteristics that make them a great leader? Mm -hmm. And he asked us to do it in competition. We wrote all these things down. Mm -hmm. Like lightning sparking on all of these different things. Right. Uh, and he went up there with an eraser and he erased everything we wrote in the have category, mm -hmm. right? And I'm hearing you and saying this, right? And then he took the eraser and erased everything that was in the action step category. And 14-year-old me does not understand this, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm angry. I'm like, yo, what are you yeah. doing? Like, that's yeah. my work. Those are the things. Are you telling me my dreams don't matter? All these things. And essentially what he said to me um, is he said, you're going to accomplish the goals that have been written on this board. You're going to do the action steps that are there. Mm -hmm. And eventually you're going to have to set a new goal and that new goal is going to bring you new action steps. But the thing that will remain consistent mm -hmm. is who do you need to be and what do you need to believe mm -hmm. in order to continue to have you casting goals forward. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like, in your practice, like, what do you want to instill in students as far as those beliefs? I'm hearing you say you want them to be open to understand, right, to have passion, to have joy, right, like what, what are the ways of being, what are the beliefs that we want to instill in young people who are not the final versions of themselves? Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's awesome. I love how you describe that. For me, it's persistence and perseverance, right? Not everything comes when you want it or how you want it, right? But you keep working hard towards it. I think that what you put out in the world comes back to you, right? And Sometimes not at the time that you expect, but I think it does come back to you when you work hard, joy comes back to you. And um, yeah, I mean, I tell this story to my students in dance, but when I was in college, there was a, a student in our dance class who, and I hate to say this, just did not have the same skills as everyone else in the class. Yeah. And there was all kinds of like talk about this student, like why are they in this class? They can't dance, they can't do this. It was all about, couldn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't do it. They need to leave and go find something else that they could do. And then all of a sudden we got to this project where it was about choreography, creating something. And they created this piece that we all went, oh, that's why you're in dance. Yeah. It was brilliant, but we, we couldn't see at the time and the moment of that one class of what we were doing in that moment that lack of skill didn't mean that there was, it wasn't informing something else that they could do. And I guess I just always want my students to know that we can't see everything at one time all the time. And that if you keep looking forward to what you love and what you um, want to aspire to, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. I was told I was never going to be a dancer. Guess what? My whole life is about dancing. And they told me I would never do it. And I just, I don't ever want to be a teacher that shuts somebody down because I think if there's truly a passion, um, you will find, it might not be exactly the way you know it, that basketball, I'm going to be a famous basketball player, 
you're not a famous basketball player, but if that was if that was truly your only passion, you'd be probably doing writing for basketball and writing for you know what I mean. There would have been some way that you could have like combined some of your strengths with that. I just want kids to keep the doors open, keep goals going forward. The goals may change because if you work hard and you learn all those things that we do in school, set up good habits, persevere. Um, think you can find that thing that's for you out there and that thing may change 20 times by the time you're 25 oh adaptability is, is yeah. a part of that conversation for sure yeah and oh now I'm interested and and I'm like uh, one of the things that I ask my students in class every Monday um, when we get back from the weekend is I ask them what's the most compelling story that they heard this weekend and so I'm curious for you, right? Like you're sharing a story about something that's happened in the class. Mm -hmm. um, as far as your practice goes, mm -hmm. what has been some of the most, or what might be the most compelling story that's informed the way you help students discover themselves? I have a lot of students that come in with an idea of what they like about dance and what they don't like about dance. That's sort of like what I know at 14 based on watching YouTube or TikTok. Hmm. And I feel like it's my job to blow their mind up with what dance could be for them, right? And so for me, having that student who when they were a freshman, I'm thinking of a specific student I have right now, right? Yeah. Having that student as a freshman be like, I love dance, and then being like, but I only like this, is now like the most awesome leader I have, puts themselves out there to su support everyone in their class to be, um, the person that assists people, that runs the clubs, that leads the warm-ups, that um, they still love their style of dance that they loved, um, and they excel in it. But my learning from them is when I provide the opportunities from someone who is narrow thinking, and I allow leadership, and I allow um, relationships to build, they step up and they take it. And they're learning as a human, maybe not in my style of dance, but what they grow in terms of their leadership and their responsibility and their goals for their future, um, I'm not worried about them at all now because I can see it every day in my room. This sort of shut box to, oh, I found my way. And I had to be specific about allowing access for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I'm now like I'm back I'm, to listening to what they love, but still teach everything I know to broaden what they can do and facilitate a model where they can lead and grow. So students come to you in the ninth grade, mm -hmm. right? And uh, a lot of experience in education up until that point is about compliance, right? And so I'm interested in like. You know, how do you get somebody from that mindset of uh, compliance to here's the keys, lead, facilitate, be a part of this, lead the warm-ups, be it, right? Like, how, how, I guess even if you have a story about it, like, how have you gotten students to shift from uh, that compliance model to a competence or even like leadership now model in the classroom? It's a hard one, that's a hard one to answer for me, you know, because again, every student's not the same. If I'm thinking about just this one particular student, oh. it's, um, 
it's many answers. Having adjunct artists that they can work it with that um, a promote the style of dance they love and have that sort of connection into the community. Um, writing letters of recommendation for them to go get the job where they're the teacher outside of our community. Mm. Um, role modeling a lot of what is um, really good in-class practice that they can emulate and take on so they've learned that for themselves um, through doing in the classroom. Um, and allowing ma curricular material that is open enough that a student can bring their best selves. Still specific enough that I'm very clear about what I'm grading, open enough that it's their work and not mine. Sometimes we're gonna have things where it's, do what I asked you to do to the best of your ability. That's part of it too. And they want that too. But having that balance, and you have to have all of it. You can't just, it can't be narrow. It has to be broad. Can I ask you one last question? Sure. Because I, I, uh, I like, I'm in my, like, man, I wish you were my teacher. <laughs> right? Uh, and I know relationships exist past graduation. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, how have you been in relationship or supported students mm -hmm. um, post-soda? Right? Mm -hmm. Like what might be an example of a student who has come back to you for mentorship, mm -hmm. um, students come back to just say thank you, mm -hmm. right? What, what has your relationship looked like past graduation with students you've had previously? I want to say that's like my, I'm going to get teary-eyed now. Oh, I was doing so good not, not getting teary-eyed. I love seeing alumni. It gets, okay, breathe, Robin. You got it. It's all uh. good. So I guess, I, again, multi-level answer. I have students who call me because they don't have support at home. Mm -hmm. And I can talk them through things and just be a good listening ear, um, go out to coffee, how's it going? Like a pretty just keeping a relationship where I'm still listening, like that's my job. Um, but I also have students where this school meant so much to them that um, when I see them at our, um, alumni gatherings and um, our celebrations, just the joy that's there. Their kids go here now. Um, that's a real tribute to me. Like I could just, I think that's an honor. Um, but really the biggest one is when my students are teaching with me, traveling to National High School Dance Festival with me as a chaperone, setting choreography on my students then I've really achieved something. They're gonna come replace me. That's what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be my greatest achievement ever. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> let them flow, right? That's what they're made for. Yo, man. No, thank you, I love yeah, that. I love um, ah, yeah. We gotta stop, cause I'm getting all teary. <laughs> the emotional just came out, damn it. I was so good until that moment. You asked no. the worst question. <laughs> This is better, right? <laughs> no, uh, essentially, <laughs> I don't want to uh, push you too far, but um, I do want to say thank you, right? Just human to human. Um, I'm still in the process of discovering myself as most of us are, right? Yeah. And so it is- Me too. Uh, right? <laughs> and we never stop. And I, I, I think the, the thing that I'm taking a value from our conversation, right, is the amount of joy and passion that you put into your work and the amount of joy and passion that you then create for other people. Um, one of my favorite poets in the world, right, is, is Maya Angelou, and what she offers is, uh, they'll forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. 
And as evidenced by your work in answering that last question, right, um, it's clear that you make people feel something. And I think that that's the precursor to being able to discover who we are. And so I just want to say thank you, right, for uh, a brilliant <laughs> conversation, for things that I get to take away and learn, things that I get to apply as an educator. Uh, and I know that we normally say this to people, right, who wear uniforms and defend country, but like, thank you for your service. Um, I live in Tacoma. My children will go to school in Tacoma. And the impact that you've left here, right, whether we get to cross paths as individual humans or not, right, will be felt. You know, for, for generations to come. So I'm I'm grateful for you. Thank we you. have a lot of amazing teachers here. I feel incredibly lucky to work at this school. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cut. Elements of Education is a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Tacoma, Washington. We're dedicated to changing public education to better serve the diverse needs of students by focusing on our core values of empathy, community, balance, and thinking. For more information about the work that we do, please visit elementsofed.org or you can follow us on Instagram at elementsofeducation.